Have you been wanting to try out the latest honor mode in Baldur's Gate 3, but weren't exactly sure which characters to bring to the party and how to build them? Or maybe you've just been looking for like the ultimate Baldur's Gate 3 party regardless. Well, today I'm going to give you my opinion on what that would look like. I hope it's useful. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take deep dives into character builds for our favorite role-playing games. I like to crunch numbers about them, theorycraft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to build something with the hopes of creating a character that is both really fun, but also really powerful to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for role-playing games, almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself. Or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something that you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is absolutely where you belong, and I'm so glad that you're here, so thanks for watching. My name's Colby. I put out build videos every Tuesday and sometimes additional content as well. And if you like what you see, I hope that you will consider joining the channel as a member. There's a little button down there that says join. You click on it and you can see about all of the different benefits that you might get as a member, including access to the write-ups that I create for each one of these builds so that you can kind of get a cheat sheet to help you recreate it yourself if you'd like, or um, access to our awesome Discord server, or even access to our monthly uh, member hangouts where my friend Dallin and I um, kind of field questions from you guys and just have a little RPG-fueled uh, hangout session. Anyways, it's a great way to support the channel, and I just wanted to give a huge shout-out and thank you to all of my channel members. I could not do this without you guys. And for everybody else, thank you just for being here. If you don't want to join as a member, that's totally fine. Just watching, liking, uh, subscribing, especially clicking the notifications bell. These are all great ways to support the channel too. So thanks for being here. So yes, I get a lot of requests from commenters asking me to do like an ultimate party build, do four builds that are all powerful and synergize well together, etc. And what a lot of people might not realize is how much work that would actually take. <laughs> but honestly, I have done a lot of like team up builds in the past, right? Where I do two builds at least that are meant to really synergize well together and that are meant to be played with a friend where you kind of feed off each other. So videos like the wolf and the coyote or the battery and the blender or yin yang, or maybe the best of all of them, I think, the mount and blade. I've never actually tried to do four builds in a single video before until Baldur's Gate 3 came out, of course, and when that happened, with a level cap of 12 for that game and with me wanting to get as many cool builds out for the game as quickly as possible, I started doing videos that had four or five builds in each at first. Anyways, later I slowed it down to three or even two, right? But then, a few weeks ago, Larian released Patch 5 for Baldur's Gate 3 and introduced a brand new sparkling difficulty setting, Honor Mode, meant to challenge players more than ever before, and suddenly I started getting flooded with even more requests than ever to create like the ultimate Honor Mode team, right? I mostly ignored those requests initially because I kind of felt like I'd already out my most powerful builds. You could probably just pick almost any four of them, throw them together, and you'd have a pretty solid team, I think. But then I started reading about Honor Mode a little bit more and tried playing it myself, and I kind of realized it might not be super apparent to people exactly what kinds of builds would work best for this version of the game and why. What kinds of spells should we be focusing on? Are we looking for damage-based attacks or spells that allow for saving throws for damage? Sustained damage or burst damage? How important is it to have a tank? How important is it to have a controller? 
What about like a dedicated support character? So I decided to finally bite the bullet and put a video together that aims first of all to help people understand honor mode, what we want to prioritize when playing at that setting and why, and then yes, to lay out what I think anyway, the four best builds to bring to a party would be if you were playing in honor mode. I know I'm a little late. I should have started working on this the minute the patch came out. Better late than never, hopefully. So let's jump into Baldur's Gate 3 episode number 10, the ultimate honor mode team. But first, you guys, I am so excited to tell you about my newest video sponsor, Eldermancy and Ghostfire Gaming's latest Kickstarter project, The Seeker's Guide to Enchanting Emporiums. Are you an adventurer with a ton of gold but nothing to spend it on? Well, have I got a solution for you this book. It's a 250 plus page beautifully illustrated anthology containing more than 15 magic item stores and traveling traders with something inside for everyone. Basically, think of this book as a collection of unique and fantastical merchant shops, but those shops come with more than just new, fun, interesting, and powerful magic items, though of course they have those in spades. But each shop is filled with life, turning your next shopping trip into an entire adventure. Every emporium comes replete with a host of proprietors, staff, and even customers with detailed backstories and a wealth of role-playing prompts, making it easy for GMs to create interesting encounters from them and yes, even compelling quests and adventure outlines so that every trip to the store is so much more than a simple shopping trip. So I could see you using this book to just like drop into your existing campaign to spice it up with items, personalities, and maybe even some side quests, or really like piecing several of these emporiums together to make an entire campaign out of them. Oh, and did I mention the all-star list of contributors to this book? We're talking Ginny D, the Dungeon Dudes, one-shot questers, XP to level three, and many more. I mean, seriously, I might just back this project to support those really awesome content creators. Anyways, the Kickstarter is live now. It's past its funding goal by like a zillion dollars, so it's going to press, and there are actually only a few days left before the Kickstarter ends as of this video release. So do not delay. Hit pause and click on the link in the video description. That's how they would know that I sent you to back this project before it's too late. If you go now, you can help them meet their next stretch goal and get access to all the goodies that you miss out on if you don't back them while they're in Kickstarter. So huge thanks to Ghostfire Gaming and Eldermancy. I can't wait to see the finished product here. I know it's going to be awesome. Okay. Back to the build. First things first, we need to discuss what honor mode is and go over some important differences and maybe general advice to help us decide what we're going to do for the characters that we bring to the party, right? Honor mode is basically tactician mode with a couple of important tweaks. This means that, like tactician mode, enemies have a higher hit chance, a plus two to their hit chance, a plus two to all saving throws as well, annoyingly, 30% more hit points, and just kind of act a little more tactically. They're more likely to shove you off of heights or focus fire the caster who's concentrating on a powerful spell, etc. As far as the differences between honor mode and tactician mode, probably the biggest difference is that in honor mode, there is no save scumming. That is, there is only one single save file that is constantly being overwritten, and if you try to load that old save file while you're in the middle of the game, or even if you like Alt F4 out of the game or anything, the game will automatically save first, overwriting your file, and then just load up right where you left off. In other words, if you screw up, you're stuck with it. If you at any point get a total party wipe and everyone dies, 
you can reload, but at that point you will no longer be in honor mode and you won't get the shiny golden D20 that comes as a reward for completing the game with your honor intact, as it were. This means that it's important to go slowly, plan ahead, and think and play tactically. Now, as far as what makes honor mode more difficult than tactician mode mechanically, right? There are two main things. First of all, a lot of enemies, mostly ones that you might think of as like bosses, get special legendary actions akin to like big bad enemies in D&D. So the owl bear, the phase spider, uh, Ethel the hag, right, in Act 1, among others, the Thorn family, uh, Balthazar, etc. in Act 2, they all get pretty powerful abilities that make the fight a lot harder. I'm not going to go through them all here. I'm not going to go through any of them here. You can easily look up a list online of which enemies get legendary actions and what they do, but suffice to say that they can make a fight significantly more difficult. For this reason, above all others, I think, prioritizing burst damage for your builds in honor mode should be priority number one. The truth is, burst or nova damage has kind of been the queen of tactical play in D&D for a long time, and the same is generally true of BG3 as well. Front-loading a ton of damage early in the fight so that you can eliminate an enemy or two right from the get-go just does wonders to make the fight go a lot more smoothly for your party. If an enemy just never gets to take a turn in combat before they're wiped out, you've shifted the scales of balance in your party's favor and the enemy is really unlikely to ever recover. In honor mode, this is even more true, as your tactic should almost always be to eliminate that boss enemy me before they even get a chance to take a turn, if at all possible, thus preventing them from using their really strong legendary actions and further complicating the fight. Okay, so prioritizing burst damage characters, got it. Does that mean every character we bring should be a burst damage dealer? Maybe. Or at least have some burst damage capabilities. Do we need support? Tanks? Controllers? I'm gonna say... Not really. Here's the thing. In this game, making attacks against enemy armor class is generally a lot more reliable a way to do damage than casting spells that the enemy gets to save against. Especially in tactician and honor mode, as enemies get a bump to their saves, but not to their armor class, right? Plus, there are so many ways to buff our own hit chance via magic items, weapons, party buffs, etc, etc, not to mention give ourselves additional attacks, right? While there are a lot fewer ways to increase our own spell DC, or lower an enemy saving throw, or increase the number of spells we can cast on a turn. Not saying that there are none, and also not saying that, therefore, spells that allow for enemy saves are worthless, especially since they'll often take half damage even on a successful save, so it can be a nice way to guarantee at least some damage, right? But due to the frequency with which we see enemies resist our spells, and due to the way that Larian has largely nerfed a lot of the more powerful control spells and abilities in this game, I'd say don't worry too much about bringing a controller to the fight. Instead of trying to inflict the feared or restrained or stunned or paralyzed condition, just try to inflict the dead condition on everything as soon as possible. That's the worst condition. What's more, due to the way that taking damage and healing works in both D&D and BG3, I'd say you really shouldn't worry too much about having either a full support healer character or like a full tank character. This is not World of Warcraft, thankfully. I love that game, but you know, it can be fun to play characters built as a tank or as a full healer, right? No question. And I've done a lot of builds on this channel for both kinds of characters, but you're 
you're just never really going to be able to bring a healer to your party that can just keep everyone topped off at full health all the time. The game just doesn't really work that way. Nor a tank that can force enemies to attack them and no one else and live to tell the tale. The most efficient way to heal in this game is usually to just wait until a party member goes down and then bounce them back up with a level 1 healing word spell or by throwing a potion at them, etc. There are exceptions to this, of course, and it doesn't mean that you don't want to worry about survivability or have no healing at all or anything, but again, I'd prioritize damage and especially burst damage above all. What kind of support would I bring? First off, I'd focus on having buff spells and abilities that just work every time. Bless, aid, bardic inspiration, etc. For one thing, buffs are nice in that they just work no matter what, and also you can pre-cast them before combat starts generally, and not lose turns getting up to speed once combat begins, right? I've gone over this before, but yeah, if you feel confident that a fight is about to break out, go into turn-based mode, then start the conversation with a bad guy, or make your attack, etc. Is it cheesy? Yeah. A little. But I don't know. This is honor mode, right? No saves coming. You've got one shot at this. It's a video game in hard mode. Play it like a video game. And yeah, you can't go into turn-based mode and then, say, cast slow or fear on the enemies because that's just going to start combat, right? But then, okay, second off, as far as what kind of support you should have, like I said, just have a couple of party members who can cast at least healing word. Everything else beyond that, some healing word and some buffs, as far as support goes, is just gravy, in my opinion. Increasing our own likelihood of success is just typically going to be more effective than trying to decrease the enemy's chance of failure, as most of the time our attempts to debuff them in that way might just get resisted from the get-go, especially in honor or tactician mode, right, because of that saving throw buff. And so there's just a higher likelihood of us having wasted our turn and resources if we try to focus on debuffing and controlling. Now what about utility? Yeah, I think there's always a place, especially in this game, for a character who is good at picking locks and disarming traps. We will allow for that with one of our builds. It doesn't mean you have to have a rogue, but maybe someone with at least a decent dexterity and expertise is nice. Okay, I said there were two major mechanical differences between honor mode and tactician. So the second is that honor mode has basically closed up some loophole balance issues that honestly shouldn't have existed in the first place. And I think it's kind of weird, actually, that they're still allowing them to exist for other difficulty settings, but not in honor mode. Oh well. For example, in D&D, if you have the haste spell on you, you get another action, yes, but you can only use that extra action for a few limited things, including just a single weapon attack. That's not the case in Baldur's Gate 3, as we've often discussed, you just get a full action, right, including extra attack if you have it, so two more attacks. Unless you're playing in honor mode, where now you only get one extra weapon attack, just like in Dungeons and Dragons. Now, you are still allowed to cast another spell if you have a hasted spellcaster, so they didn't quite nerf it to the level that it exists in D&D, where you can't use your hasted action to cast a spell, but anyways, it's important to consider. Also, the extra attack from Pact of the Blade Warlocks no longer stacks with extra attack that you might get from somewhere else when you're playing in honor mode, as it should be, in my opinion. Again, that's strange to me that they only fix that for honor mode. It seems like a bug, not a feature, but whatever. Tavern Brawler doesn't add extra damage beyond what it's supposed to as listed in the description when you make thrown attacks in honor mode. So changes like that. These things are important to know simply because it might affect which builds we decide to bring. Stuff that before was kind of overpowered might not be quite as overpowered now. That said, 
spoiler warning, Tavern Brawler and Haste and Back to the Blade are all still really good. They just won't be as good as they are in other difficulty settings. Okay, I think that about does it for our primer on Honor Mode. Let's then jump into the builds that I would plan on bringing to the party. And sorry if this is a disappointment, but they're all builds that I've done for other videos. But that said, hold on before you leave. I've modified each of them at least a little bit to either try to add more burst damage or make sure that we've got proper buff coverage or both. So listen up as I tell you about the modifications. First up, build number one, the Holy Warrior. This was the first build that I ever did for BG3 in my first ever BG3 video, and honestly, I think I would make it the lone melee character that I'd bring to this party. There are a number of reasons. First of all, while I do think that ranged damage dealers tend to have the edge over melee and that they can more easily attack just about any target they want on the battlefield and can potentially like kite enemies a little bit, you know, run away uh, while still hitting them, keeping the melee enemies, and the majority of enemies in BG3 are melee at a safe distance and thus, you know, improving their own survivability, right? I think there's good reason to have at least one like frontliner in your party. Not to be like a tank tank, but to draw the fire of at least some of the bad guys to keep your squishier ranged friends a little safer. And because, well, I really like Divine Smite and great weapon master for damage, especially for burst damage. And I think the Holy Warrior pulls off using both of those things better than really any other build. I would make a few changes to them though, and so this is how I would build them for this party. At level one, starting class, I think I'd still start off Barbarian. Barbarians are just so front-loaded that it makes early game a lot easier than if you started Paladin. For ability scores, we're going to want a 16 strength, 14 constitution, and a 14 dexterity. We can respect to increase our charisma later when we get Paladin levels if we want, but I'm not 100% sure that I would. Uh, maybe much later, especially if we're using equipment or consumables to give us like a flat strength score, a high strength score, right? And yeah, speaking of consumables, not something that I talk about much in my BG3 builds, but be sure to familiarize yourself with them if you don't typically and plan on using them in honor mode. Elixirs of giant strength can be particularly potent here as they raise your strength score to a very high set number, right? And elixirs last until you take a long rest, so you can get a lot of use out of them. As for equipment, you're going to eventually want to be equipped with your favorite two-handed weapon and medium armor that you can find. And then focus on stuff otherwise that can increase your critical hit chance, right? It lowers your crit from only hit happening on a 20 to a 19 or a 20 or an 18, 19 or 20, right? Because yeah, critting with a smite doubles both the weapon damage and the smite damage, and that can really blow stuff up. So as a barbarian one, we'll get rage, which we can use twice per day for now as a bonus action to get an extra two damage on melee improvised and thrown attacks. We also get resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage while raging. And as I'm so fond of saying, that's most of the damage that we'll be taking in game. So that's wonderful. Just keep in mind, that the big drawback to rage is that we can't concentrate on or cast spells while raging, right? And it also only works if we're not wearing heavy armor, so plan on medium armor for your entire career. We do get unarmored defense at this level as well, but I'm not going to plan on using it, at least not until we get some really stellar, like, non-armor armor, right? Just the clothing that gives you nice stat bumps and stuff like that. Then, at level 2, we get reckless attack, which, in my opinion, is the barbarian's strongest feature. It lets you have advantage on your attacks if you want to give enemies advantage on their attacks against you, right? General rule of thumb, use Reckless Attack. You're a Raging Barbarian with more hit points than any other class. You don't mind getting hit quite so much. You're not concentrating on a spell generally,
generally, you're here to kill your enemies before they kill you. And advantage is going to go a long way to helping you do that since it means that you roll two 20-sided dice to try and hit and then just use the higher of the two rolls, right? At level three, barbarians get their subclass and I'd actually stick with my original plan when I built this character and go berserker. Berserker barbarians get frenzied rage, which lets them make an extra frenzied strike weapon attack as a bonus action when they're raging. Now, yes, this does mean that we get a stack of frenzied strain when we do so, which decreases our hit chance by one until our rage ends. But I don't mind that quite so much as I thought I was going to when I first found out about it. We have advantage on demand and we'll be getting bonus action attacks somewhat regularly anyways, as I'll discuss shortly, so this will be a nice backup bonus action attack option if we need it. If you don't love Berserker, feel free to go Wild Heart Bear to increase your survivability, as Bear Barbarians get resistance to all damage, but Psychic anyway, not just uh, Bludgeoning, Piercing, Slashing, right? At level 4 we get a feat, and we want Great Weapon Master. This tells us that when we're using a heavy weapon, we can choose to take a minus 5 to hit penalty to do an extra 10 flat damage if we hit. That is a lot of damage, but I honestly don't feel super comfortable using Great Weapon Master unless we have a reliable source of advantage. And I kind of feel like in BG3, it's just a little tougher to come by advantage reliably than it is in D&D. I mean, you know, Darkness and Devil Sight doesn't work very well in this game because Darkness can't be cast on you and move with you, right? Fairy Fire and knocking your enemies prone, especially in Tactician and Honor Mode, feel like they just get resisted more often than not. Anyways, Reckless Attack and Great Weapon Master are a match made in heaven, and I'm happy to have them both here. Now, an important feature of Great Weapon Master that I sometimes forget to talk about, but have learned not to ignore, especially in BG3, is that it also tells us that if we kill an enemy or get a critical hit on our turn, then we can make an additional attack as a bonus action. Thus, we won't always be needing our frenzied strike bonus action attack, but either way, we'll potentially always have a bonus action attack available to us when we need it. That's perfect. At level 5, we get extra attack so that we can attack twice when we take the attack action, and since we are a raging frenzied barbarian, we're going to get three attacks every turn, which are going to hit really, really hard. At level 6, it's time to start taking Paladin levels. This means we get our Oath, our subclass, and after playing around with all three, I think for this build I'd probably go with Devotion. The ability they get at level 1 here is just okay, Holy Rebuke, it causes melee attackers to take radiant damage when they hit you. Not bad, but it only lasts two turns, and it costs your action to use it, so maybe if you can get it going before combat starts, sure. Pallies also get Divine Sense here to give advantage on attacks against Celestials, Fiends, and Undead, but it costs a bonus action to use and also only lasts two rounds. And yeah, we've got Reckless Attack, so again, maybe if you can get it going before combat starts. The other ability we get at level one, Lay on Hands, is better. It just does some healing either to yourself or to an ally, though it costs our action and has a range of touch, so only use in combat in the most dire of circumstances. But then at level seven, I actually would respec my character to Pally 5 Barbarian 2. That's going to give us the best of Barbarian, it lets us keep extra attack, and then like Nitro boosts our paladin levels for more and better divine smites, among other things. I'd probably consider trying to give my charisma a little bump here in a respec if I could, but that's going to depend on what gear and consumables I've got access to. Anyway, here's everything that we would gain by just jumping to pally 5 here. First and second level spells, and I'm just going to say make sure to grab bless above all. Now, bless requires concentration, so we can't use it while raging, but there may be times when we would rather use it than rage, and I'll discuss that later. Most important, Importantly, yes, we would pick up Divine Smite here. With Divine Smite, when you attack, you can choose to spend a spell slot to do an extra 2d8 of damage, and that increases by a d8 for each spell slot higher than first that you spend. 
it caps at uh, 5d8 in damage, so 4th level spell slots, which we won't get to on this build. It's one of the best burst damage abilities in the game, and happily, since it is not casting a spell, raging barbarians can use it. Plan on using most, if not all, of your spell slots for smiting. We would get a fighting style as well here, and I'd probably grab great weapon fighting here, as it is better than in D&D. It lets you reroll any damage rolls. When you attack with a weapon with two hands, it lets you reroll any damage rolls that ended up being at one or twos. And yes, unlike in D&D, this applies to things that you're adding to the attack, like Divine Smite, for example, so it makes it a lot better. We also would have picked up Divine Health, which gives us uh, immunity to disease, and then Devotion Paladins would, at level 3, get the ability to use their channel Oath feature, remember that resets on a short rest, right, for Sacred Weapon. Of course, this costs an action to use as well, so again, something to use before combat starts, but when you use it, it lasts 10 turns, and it gives your weapon a bonus to your plus to hit chance equal to your Charisma modifier. That's awesome for those of us taking a minus 5 to hit on every attack especially, but of course, it's only going to benefit us if we've managed to bump our Charisma, so here's hoping that you've managed to get at least a 12 Charisma by now. Maybe by using the gloves or clothing that increase your dexterity, right? So that you can dump that stat and then bump charisma instead. Yeah. Anyway, we would have picked up a feat at Pally 4 and yeah, still use that for Great Weapon Master. And even though we will have given up for now, anyways, the Berserker's bonus action attack, here's what I plan on doing. Eat a couple of tadpoles so that you can get the once per day automatic critical hit ability. On round one of a big important boss fight, instead of raging, just run up and smite recklessly twice. Assuming that at least one of those attacks hit, which at least one of them definitely should, make it a critical via your tadpole power. This is going to activate your great weapon master bonus action attack so that you can still get three attacks on that opening round, applying a smite to every one of them, with at least one of those critting, right? That's going to be a boatload of damage to start a fight off with. Go ahead and rage on round two then, to help you stay alive, right? And then, yes, we would have picked up extra attack two with pally five. So at level eight, we would be a barbarian three again, and yeah, just take berserker for the subclass. We've already gone over that. At level 9, though, I think I'd be done with Paladin and Barbarian. This may sound crazy, since Aura of Protection, especially at Paladin 6, is great. And again, if you've managed to get yourself a decent Charisma score, then definitely consider it, since it gives a bonus to all saving throws equal to your Charisma modifier for both you and your allies within 10 feet. That can do wonders. But again, if my main goal here is to take out the boss before they can even go, then I want to do things to increase my damage. At this point, that's going to mean fighter levels. So we'd be a fighter one, we get second wind for a little bonus action heal once per short rest, and then a fighting style again, and I'd take defense this time to bump our AC by one. At level 10 though, yeah, we'd be a fighter two. That means action surge, get used to fighter two if you're not already by watching my videos on this channel. So yes, action surge gives us two full actions once per short rest, right? That means when we use it, we can make five attacks on our turn and potentially blow a smite on all five of those attacks for some serious Nova damage potential. For levels 11 and 12 at the end here, again, you could go back to Pally, but for offensive purposes, I'd probably finish off the build with a full spellcaster of your choice. The best thing we can do for our damage right now is to get more and higher spell slots to smite harder and more often with. If you grabbed two levels of War Cleric, for example, you'd have the spell slots of a fifth level full caster, meaning two third level spell slots for some 4d8 smites, plus three times per day as a War 
cleric, you can make a bonus action attack without having to take on a stack of Frenzied Strain, even if you didn't proc your Great Weapon Master bonus attack that round. That's the way I would do it for this build and this team anyways. And you know, maybe for that reason, you might want to consider dropping that third level in Barbarian altogether. Forget the Berserker subclass, counting on War Cleric and Great Weapon Master procs to get you that bonus action attack more often and giving you another feat and giving you just one more spell slot to smite with, among other things. Now, you might notice that we only ever got one feat on this character if we went Barbarian 3 anyways. That's a bummer, but not a huge deal. Remember, there are lots of ways we can increase our strength in this game. So if you need more strength, sure, forego the cleric levels and get to Barbarian 4. I'll assume that via equipment and consumables, you're fine. Thus, the only real feat we need on this build is Great Weapon Master. Okay, on to build number two, the build that I did for Carlac in my optimizing a build for every companion part one video a few weeks ago, we'll call it the Tavern Brawler Thrower. Yes, even though the Tavern Brawler feat was nerfed, read, fixed, for honor mode, in that it doesn't do quite as much damage for thrown weapon attacks, it still smacks hard and has the added benefit of letting you stay at range while attacking. One note, this build isn't necessarily much of a burst damage dealer, not until later anyways, but that's okay. It hits hard, it hits consistently, it hits from range, and has the added benefit of coming online pretty early, earlier than a lot of the other builds here, and having a super reliable hit chance so that this build will be able to kind of carry you a bit while the other characters are sort of getting up to speed. Plus, while burst damage is arguably superior tactically, having some solid system Sustained damage is still really nice and important, especially when the sustained damage is this good. At level one, so the first few levels of this character, we're going barbarian again, and I'm not gonna go over the same features that we've already discussed, but for our abilities, we're gonna start with a 17 strength this time, a 16 constitution, and a 14 dex. And yeah, I don't love having two strength-based characters in the party, but Strength increases do seem to be a little easier to come by in this game compared to others, so I don't feel too bad about it. As for equipment, we want thrown weapons, especially ones that return to you after you throw them, like the spear that you can get from the merchant at the goblin camp in Act 1. We'll want medium armor, and then just equipment that's going to add damage to our weapon attacks, or especially thrown weapon attacks. But as a barbarian one, yeah, we get rage, we get unarmored defense, we've gone over those. At level 2, reckless attack. Here's the thing about reckless attack on this build, it's only supposed to work on melee attacks, and thrown weapons aren't melee attacks. However, currently in the game, if you make your first attack on the round a melee attack with reckless attack turned on, then all the rest of your attacks that round are still going to benefit from the advantage, even if you're throwing stuff. That will be useful on particularly hard to hit enemies, but we'll shortly have such a huge buff to our hit chance that I'm not going to miss advantage quite as much on this character as I would on others, especially since we're not taking a minus five to hit penalty, right? At level three, yeah, we're going berserker for the subclass again, but it's actually a lot better and more important on this build than it is on the Holy Warrior, because Berserkers don't just get Frenzied Strike when they rage, they also get our bread and butter ability for this build, Enraged Throw. This tells us that we can use a bonus action to throw stuff. That can mean something lying around nearby, even an enemy potentially, or something in our inventory that we have equipped, but there are some additional benefits here. If we hit our target with Enraged Throw, they have to make a strength save or they're knocked prone. Nice. This used to also apply Frenzied Strain, but happily 
Luckily, Larian has fixed it so that it no longer does. At level four, we get a feat, and yeah, this is the thing that makes this build really shine, and it's the Tavern Brawler feat. I think this is still the most overpowered feat in the game at the moment, bumping our strength by one to a nice even 18, and then telling us that when we make an unarmed strike, an improvised weapon, or a thrown weapon attack, then we get to double our strength bonus for both our hit chance and the plus to damage bonus, and that's just crazy town. At level five, we get extra attack so that we can be making three attacks every turn for big, consistent damage. But at level six, it's time to leave Barbarian behind for greener pastures. The question is, do you want better burst damage now or better sustained damage? Two levels of fighter would give us five attacks once per short rest, but three levels of rogue would get us four attacks every single round all of the time, right? So yeah, let's do rogue first. As a rogue one, we'll get expertise, letting us double our proficiency bonus for two skills of our choice, right? And if it were me, I'd take perception for sure, as I think it's the most used skill in the game, and probably athletic, just to make us that much better at things you need a good athletic skill for, jumping, shoving, etc. We also get sneak attack here, which lets us do extra damage once per turn, a d6 for now, if we make an attack with a finesse or a ranged weapon, if you have advantage, or the enemy standing next to one of your allies, right? And while no, thrown weapons aren't the same same thing as ranged weapons, the dagger is both a finesse and thrown weapon. So it might be worth keeping a good dagger on you to get some sneak attack damage once per turn, right? At level seven, we'd be a rogue two. That gives us cunning action so that we can dash, disengage, or hide as a bonus action instead of an action, always useful. And then at level eight, we'd be a rogue three and we get our rogue subclass. And this is the real reason we went rogue, right? You knew that. We would take thief because thieves get fast hands and fast hands lets us take two bonus actions every single turn, which is just insane. And that means for us to enraged throws every single turn and enemies are just going to melt under all that thrown weapon deliciousness uh, don't forget just in case we are throwing a dagger once in a while that sneak attack goes up to 2d6 now but then from level 9 and on for this build after we've got thief under our belt I'd probably go one more level of rogue to get another feat and to get our strength up to 20 I think unless we don't need that because of some equipment that we found and then yeah I'd go fighter for the last three levels here not only would that get us action surge for burst damage and a nice fighting style. But you could even, at Fighter 3, take the Eldritch Knight subclass, and Eldritch Knights, in addition to learning some handy wizard spells, get Weapon Bond, which lets you magically bond a weapon, any weapon, so that when you throw it, it automatically returns to your hand. So now, if you find a thrown weapon that's better than something you already have that is a returning thrown weapon, right? Well, now it can be a returning weapon too, which is awesome. To be fair, there's a fantastic legendary trident that returns to you automatically in Act 3. So if you have that, I'd probably just go with champion instead for our fighter subclass to just increase our crit chance, but feel free to stick with Eldritch Knight if you find like a really amazing spear or something that you'd rather use, right? Okay, on to build number three. What about AoE? Some of you may be saying. Area of effect stuff. And I mean, yeah, you've got a point. While most fights, I would argue, benefit more from strong single target burst damage, there is definitely a place for multi-target damage in this game. There are fights when you run the risk of getting swarmed by a lot of relatively weak enemies, and having at least one character who's capable of putting out some decent damage to multiple enemies is nice. In my mind, the build that does that better than any other for BG3 is 
the Light Cleric, which I showcased in my fourth Baldur's Gate builds video. The tactical nuke is nice as well. Being able to throw out multiple fireballs in a turn is sometimes great, but I think I prefer the Light Cleric for a number of reasons. Primarily for the support potential they bring as well as the access they get to Spirit Guardians, which is just so good. So here's how I would build this character for the Ultimate Honor Mode party. At level one, our starting class would be Cleric, yes, for our abilities. Let's go 16 Wisdom, 16 Constitution, 14 Dexterity. Light Clerics don't get heavy armor proficiency, so we're going to want that 14 Dex to get the most out of our medium armor, among other things. As for the equipment we're going to want on this character, the best medium armor we can find, the best shield we can get. We're not going to really need weapons on this build, so just find things that give like nice stat bumps and buffs and stuff like that. Clerics get their subclass. At level one, we're going Light Cleric, like I've said, and that's going to give us the Warding Flare feature. This just tells us that we can use our reaction to impose disadvantage on an attacker, potentially causing their hit to miss. Nice little defensive option there. As for spells, you're going to want the usual here. Sure, Guidance, probably Sacred Flame for damage, Bless, Healing Word, but also Light Clerics get Burning Hands and Fairy Fire for free, neither of which are typically available to clerics. Both are situationally useful. The one we're really going to be focusing on, of course, is Bless. Bumping our entire party's attacks and saving throws by a d4 is just so incredibly useful. At level 2, all clerics get Channel Divinity, which can be used once per short rest for two things. Turn Undead, which forces Undead to make a saving throw or run away from us for three turns or until they take damage. Or Light Clerics get Radiance of the Dawn, which is our second AoE ability here. And it does 2d10 plus our character level in Radiant Damage in a pretty massive 30-foot radius. It doesn't harm allies, and though it allows for a constitution saving throw, it still does half damage on a successful save, so it's nice. At level 3, we get second level spells. Light Clerics get Scorching Ray, a decent single target burst damage dealer, and Flaming Sphere, which I wouldn't plan on using for free. But Lesser Restoration can be a nice little cure-all here, and Aid is fantastic, buffing the maximum hit points of everyone in our party by five, plus five more for every spell level we upcast it, and yes, I'd generally be upcasting this as high as possible. At level four, we get a feat, and we absolutely want to be increasing our wisdom here, taking it to 18, as that will make all of our cleric spells more potent and harder to resist, not to mention making our heals better. But level five, is the Holy of Holies for us. First of all, we get Destroy Undead, which causes our turn undead to just straight up do 4d6 damage to undead creatures, and as I've said, that's kind of way better than the D&D version, I think. But the real reason we love this level is for third level spells. First of all, because clerics uniquely, other than lore bards, I guess, get spirit guardians. The spell is just so good. And it's even better in BG3 than it is in D&D. You cast it as an action, it requires concentration, and then it just does damage to any enemy who gets within 15 feet of you, regardless of whether you move close to them or they move close to you, unlike in D&D. So you can now do damage potentially with your action, your bonus action, and your movement. Run around the battlefield and then nuke stuff. It's so fun. And speaking of nuking, yes, unique among clerics, light clerics get fireball at this level too. So now we can run around softening every Everyone up with our spirit guardians and then blow them up with a nice burst of hellfire and damnation. One note, if we drop concentration on bless to cast spirit guardians, we don't have anyone else able to pick up the slack on the bless spell yet until our holy warrior gets paladin levels next level. But even then, they might not want to be concentrating on something so that they can rage, right? So I'm going to say use spirit guardians when you really need that AoE, but otherwise stick with bless 
at least for now. At level six, with our two most important spells under our belt, I'd still probably do what I originally planned on and take a druid dip here. And it's really for one main reason, the thorn whip spell. And that might not seem worth the detour, but there aren't a lot of ways to get this spell in BG3. The easiest one is probably via a druid dip. The thorn whip is perfect for us because it's a cantrip that will do a little bit of damage and then pull enemies towards us. And for those of us who do damage to enemies that get close to us, that's perfect. Also in BG3, there is a lot of fun verticality built into most of the combat encounters, right? This can mean some fun pushing enemies off of cliffs or rooftops to their doom, or pulling them for the same effect. It's just a great spell to have, and a druid dip doesn't slow down our spell slot progression at all, so I think it's worth it. There is a staff that gives you access to this spell as well that you can get pretty early on in Act 1, so feel free to just use that instead, but you might want that weapon slot for something else. You decide. Now. At level seven, I talked about this the first time I went over this build. It's tempting to consider taking three levels of rogue here for thief. You get some decent utility, but then also you can dash as a bonus action, letting you reach more enemies with spirit guardians, right? Potentially, and even do it twice if you got thief since they get two bonus actions, right? Or like dash and disengage if you need to, etc. But honestly, for this character, for this party, I'm probably just going back to Cleric. We want to be able to upcast our spells as high as possible to get the most damage out of them, for one thing. And for another, there are some decent higher level Cleric spells that we could make use of in a pinch. Stuff like Heal or Hero's Feast. Get a little damage to our Thorn Whip cantrip. We'd get another feat to further increase our wisdom, right? Not to mention Divine Intervention at Cleric 10, which, though it's only usable once per character in BG3, it just works when you need it. And in a game, where you can't reload when you fail, it might be the difference maker between that golden d20 and starting over. I will say though that yes, I could see justifying two levels of fighter here. Action surge would mean two fireballs or spirit guardians and fireball in the same turn, right? If you go that route, consider passing on the druid level, I think. Thorn whip's nice, but cleric 10, fighter 2 would get us divine intervention and that might be more important for us. For honor mode at least. And that brings us to the fourth and final build, but before I tell you what it's going to be, we kind of need to answer one really important question. How important is the haste spell going to be for you? Would you rather have access to haste or do more damage with this character? As I've said, haste is nerfed in honor mode. It's still good, but for weapon users at least, it'll only give one extra attack, not two, right? That could be the difference between finishing off a boss before their legendary action, sometimes. However, as I've mentioned, consumables exist in this game, right? Speed potions, bloodlust elixirs, and these can somewhat replicate that haste spell effect for tough fights when you really need them. They're not quite as good as the haste spell, no, but building a character who can haste, optimally one who has five levels of sorcerer so that they can twin haste, would mean building a character who can bring a really strong buff, but otherwise might be a little lackluster in the single target burst damage department themselves. If you think that's worth it, then I'd say go ahead and bring the ultimate blaster video that I did from that first Baldur's Gate 3 video. It was a sore lock mostly, right, with some fighter levels, just eldritch blast away at your foes a million times on a nova round, and then twin haste on the holy warrior and tavern brawler thrower. It'll work really well. That said, for me, I want to have a character who is good at lockpicking and disarming traps, and someone who can inspire allies, especially the Holy Warrior with their minus five to hit penalty regularly, and also, above all, do what I think I have realized 
is the most burst damage potential of any build that I've ever done for any character for Baldur's Gate 3, and I feel pretty confident is the highest Nova damage dealing character that you can build in this game without mods. Do you know which build I'm talking about? That's right. I'm talking about the Killer Bard build from the seventh Baldur's Gate 3 video that I did. The more that I've thought about and analyzed this and other builds and then played them in game, the more I've realized how insanely powerful, like to a broken level, the Killer Bard is. I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning, if you really do want to have haste and take that Sorlock instead, maybe replace the Tavern Brawler Thrower. That feels a little crazy to say, but I would do that rather than replace the Killer Bard. This is maybe the most important build to be bringing to the party, I think. How would I build it for this party? Well, at level one, we're starting off as a bard, we're gonna beeline to extra attack here. So yes, starting class bard, abilities are going to be 16 decks, 16 charisma, I think, 14 con, you could flip that charisma and constitution without suffering too much. We're not gonna be super dependent on our spells. As for equipment, yeah, we're gonna eventually wanna get to two hand crossbows once we can find them. In case you'd forgotten, in BG3, yes, you can dual wield hand crossbows, and unlike in D&D, you don't need a free hand to reload them or anything, so yes. That means, just like any other single-handed light weapon, if we have one in each hand, we can use our bonus action to fire the one in our offhand every round, right? The only difference being that if we don't have the two-weapon fighting style, we don't get to add our dexterity modifier to the damage from the offhand weapon. Yes, they've fixed that. Not a big deal, and something that we will be remedying eventually. As a bard one, then we get bardic inspiration to let us, with a bonus action, inspire our ally so that they can add our bardic inspiration die, a d6 for now, to an attack, a save, or an ability check of their choice. Again, I would prioritize putting this on our holy warrior once they have great weapon master anyways, since they're going to have the lowest hit chance of all of our party members with their minus five to hit, though admittedly they do have reckless attack, so it won't be that bad. In BG3, inspiration lasts not 10 minutes, but all day, so feel free to dole them out to everyone, especially later when they reset on a short rest, like right before you take a short rest, if you have any inspirations left, make sure you give them to your party members, right, before you click that short rest button, because they're all coming back. As for bard spells that we get here, I'd probably go with the bard usuals, right? We're not going to be using most of them once we get to level three or so, but Vicious Mockery is useful and hilarious. Healing Word, of course. A long Strider is an important spell to have in your party as it's a ritual spell, meaning it doesn't spend a spell slot and it lasts all day, letting you just give everyone in your party an extra 10 feet of move speed for free. Your Light Cleric will especially love this when they've got Spirit Guardians going, right? I'd probably grab Fairy Fire to give advantage against potentially multiple targets, if they fail their save against it anyways, which may or may not be very likely. Bane might be the better early game choice here for our concentration. It's sort of the anti-bless, right? Debuffing your enemies with a minus d4 to all of their attacks and saves if they fail their initial save against it. But considering it's a charisma save, most enemies are more likely to fail against Bane than just about any other spell. So it might be my go-to concentration spell for a while on this character, actually. At level two, we get Jack of All Trades, which which lets us add half of our proficiency bonus when making a skill check that we're not proficient in. And yeah, it might go without saying that this character is probably going to be your best Tav, I think. They'll be the best party face. And we get Song of Rest, which essentially gives us one more short rest per day, which I love. At level three, we get Expertise, and I would for sure take Sleight of Hand here to improve our lock picking and trap disarming skills, and Perception to help us see those traps and things better. 
We do get second level bard spells here, and there are lots of good options. Cloud of Daggers for some nice persistent damage with our concentration if we really need it, and it's not dependent on a good charisma modifier to work well. That's probably my top pick here if you just really need a little AoE damage. Lesser Restoration is often useful, but there's nothing here that we'll necessarily be using in combat. Bards get their subclass at level 3, and we are going Swords Bard, of course, because Swords Bards get so many fun and, frankly, in Baldur's Gate 3, at least broken toys to play with. They get medium armor proficiency, which is great, vastly improving our survivability. And then, yes, the wonderful blade flourishes. As a reminder, these let us spend a use of our bardic inspiration to enhance our weapon attacks in one of three ways. They all do extra damage as per our bardic inspiration die when we use them, but defensive flourish makes a weapon attack and also increases our AC by four until our next turn. Mobile flourish pushes your target a massive 20 feet away if it hits, and also lets you teleport to them after the push without spending a reaction or a bonus action or anything. Often fun and useful, but Slashing Flourish is the broken one that we're going to be exploiting, and yeah, it's way better than it is in D&D. It just straight up lets you make two attacks. Now in melee, it kind of gives you a little AoE where you're hitting two targets so long as they're standing next to each other. But if you're using a ranged weapon, you just get two attacks with a single attack to whoever is in range. And yeah, that can even be against the same enemy. Meaning right now, with a single attack, we can make two attacks against our target with our action, and each of them add a d6 in damage from our Bardic Inspiration die, and then we get a third attack with our bonus action offhand crossbow, right? What's worse, I mean better, is that Unlike in D&D where this is limited to once per turn, you can do this with every single attack if you have more than one from like extra attack or haste or action surge, etc. So yeah, it can get crazy in a hurry. I'm really shocked that Larian hasn't fixed this, honestly, but I'm not complaining because it's really going to make honor mode a lot easier. Now, Swords Bards also get a fighting style here, and even though they only get to choose between two, one of them is exactly the one we want, two-weapon fighting, which lets us add our dexterity modifier to our offhand attack now as well. Sweet. At level four, we get a feat, and we just have to take Sharpshooter here. One of the best feats in game, along with Great Weapon Master, it lets us add that 10 flat damage to our ranged weapon attacks at the cost of a minus five penalty to hit, and unless you're going up against a really hard-to-hit enemy, it's pretty much always worth using. But yes, just to reiterate, having Bless active on at least this character in the Holy Warrior is just super important to help counter that hit penalty as much as possible. Level 5 is a very important level for us, primarily because of all the benefits uh, to our Bardic Inspiration. Improved Bardic Inspiration bumps our Inspiration die to a d8 and also gives us one more use of it. So now we have four, but even better, Font of Inspiration causes them to reset on a short rest instead of a long rest. So now we are just going to be laying waste to our enemies from afar every single short rest. It really increases our burst damage frequency, right? And we also get third level spells here, but of course our charisma is like good not great, so it might not be all that effective to use the fears and hypnotic patterns of the world. So feel free to focus instead on spells that just work, right? Use those spell slots for heal spells, probably between combat more than anything. Cloud of Daggers, sure. Sea Invisibility might come in handy, right? Silence could be good against enemy spellcasters. Plant Growth for a big huge snare 
air, etc, etc. But level 6, we finally get extra attack as a Swords Bard, and yeah, that means that with Slashing Flourish and our bonus action, we'd potentially be making 5 attacks against our enemy without even having Action Surge, right? All of them with that extra 10 flat damage from Sharpshooter, and most of them with an extra D8 from our Inspiration die. And if you get a Potion of Speed, it would be 7 attacks at level 6 you're just going to destroy everything. But at level 7, now that we've got extra attack and our Bardic Inspirations back on a short rest, yes, let's take some detours. First up, a level in Fighter. I know, everyone gets Fighter levels, but if Burst Damage is Queen, then Action Surge is, what, the crown that the Queen is wearing? Not sure how to finish that metaphor, but yeah, it's really good. Also, we need the Archery Fighting Style badly. A plus two to hit is a big deal when you're getting an automatic minus five to hit on all of your attacks. And I mean, sure, at this point, go ahead and respec to start as a fighter one, right? So that you can have heavy armor proficiency and constitution saving throw proficiency to help you hold on to your concentration. At fighter one, yeah, we get second win for a little self heal and then yeah, the fighting style. So take archery for sure. At level eight, though, we'd be a fighter two and that means we get action surge. So even unhasted, we could now blow all four of our inspirations on a single glorious round of combat to do nine attacks. Two with each of our four attacks from our actions, right, that add our bardic inspiration die to the damage, plus one more for our bonus action. Crazy town. Now at level nine, okay, you know what? Yes, sure, I want three levels of rogue for thief and fast hands, but I honestly might take a quick cleric dip here first, for really one main reason, the bless spell. It might seem like a stretch, but keep in mind, our light cleric is often going to be better off concentrating on spirit guardians now, and our holy warrior will often need to be raging, so no bless. The tavern brawler thrower can't concentrate on spells, and we'll have all these spell slots that we're barely using, honestly, so yeah, grab a level of war cleric, just like that holy warrior, so that you can get that war priest feature, letting you make a bonus action attack three times per day. Now, why would we want this if we're using... Uh, two hand crossbows, right? Simple. There aren't a ton of amazing hand crossbows in game, but there are a fair number of fantastic longbows, shortbows, heavy and light crossbows. More of them anyways than there are really powerful hand crossbows, right? Plus they're going to do a little more damage just as a baseline. Might as well take advantage if you've got a really great longbow, let's say, and then still be able to make bonus action attacks with it once in a while. More importantly though, we can get cleric spells here, which means yes, the bless spell, and I would plan on concentrating on it from here on out, letting your holy warrior rage and your light cleric spirit guardians as they should. But then, yes, I would finish out the build from levels 10 through 12 in rogue, getting a little extra sneak attack damage once per turn, even more utility, and then finally fast hands from thief so that we can make two bonus action attacks if we wanted, bringing our total during our Nova round to 10 attacks with all that extra damage that we're piling on top of them. That's just kind of mind boggling. But yeah, I mean, if you're drinking a potion of speed, we're talking 11 attacks on our turn. Kind of makes me wish that uh, I just had more Bardic Inspiration uses. Then it would be 12. Not that we need 12. Anyway, again, with this build, we've sort of left their dexterity floundering, you may have noticed. And I appreciate that that's not awesome, but again, I'm less worried about it because of all the equipment out there that will increase your decks or set it at a certain place. If you feel strongly that you'd be better off with a higher dex than, say, the Bless spell or Fast Hands, feel free to go Bard 8 or Fighter 4 or both. You wouldn't suffer too much. The main meat of this build here comes from Swords Bard 6 plus Action Surge, right? For that reason, you might want to respec at level 12 
to Bard 10 Fighter 2. You'd get magical secrets that way and could pick up less after all if you really wanted, among some other nice Bard features. So folks, there you have it. My ultimate honor mode team. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only way to beat honor mode. Not even saying that it's necessarily the best team for it. The truth is there are a ton of strong builds that would work well and synergize with one another fantastically. I didn't do any Gloomstalker stuff. I didn't do any Tavern Brawler Monk stuff. There is nary a wizard in sight here. And there's plenty of good wizard builds out there. But this is definitely the way that I would build my team for the challenge. So which of your favorite builds did I leave out? And why was it such an unthinkable monumental oversight? I would be outraged too if I were you. Let me know in the comments, but I hope you guys know how much I love you. Thank you so much for watching and for all that you do for me and for this channel. You are the best. Happy holidays, whether you are celebrating any holidays at the moment or not. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great week. And if you don't, I hope you'll hang in there and that I see you again very, very soon. And please do good and be kind and stay safe. And yeah, I'll see you again soon. Take care. He's leaping buildings in a single bound And I'm reading Shakespeare in my place downtown Come on downtown and make love to me I'm Jimmy Olsen, not a titan, you see Ah, oh, Lois Lane, please put me in your plan Yeah, Lois Lane, you don't need no Superman oh, Come on downtown and stay with me tonight I, I got a pocket full of kryptonite, I got a pocket full of kryptonite, I That song is so awesome. Uh, Jimmy Olsen's Blues by the Spin Doctors. Um, yeah, it's a song about, you know, poor Jimmy Olsen. He's in love with Lois Lane. And how do you compete with the Man of Steel? Poor guy. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But every time I hear the song, I smile and I laugh a little. And it's so very clever and just... Yeah, great, great vibe. Check it out if you haven't heard it. Spin Doctors, love them. All right, all right, all right. Oh, boy. This is going to be a long recording today because, yes, I got over my first cold a week ago, and then I just immediately caught another cold, which just really sucked. <laughs> and this one was way worse like so much worse but hey at least it makes my voice that much sultrier and sexier right i don't know about sexier no, no uh, yeah yes no, no. <laughs> Geralt i need your powers to get me through this episode today i don't know if the wolf medallion does much for the common cold what about like the igni sign A little fire kind of cleanse the cold right out of you maybe bow, 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 bow. And microphone, stop dropping, please. Hopefully that sounded okay. Okay. Loud people in the hallways, as always. Ooh, that was a nice rhyme. Mike struggle today is real. Like, ooh, tighten it. Come on. Stay. Stay. Okay, coming down the home stretch, baby. Ooh, doing good, throat. Keep it up. Keep it up.